to the Denver Diatribe, a weekly podcast about culture, news, and stuff from the most interesting city between Salida and Sedalia. I'm Jared Jacang-Mayer. I'm here with co-host Joel Warner of Westward. John Dicker is out. Today we are going to be talking about the new report on the death of Marvin, Marvin Booker at the Denver Jail, the Denver creative scene, and good ways to market yourself locally in business and in love. And we have as a guest our friend Ryan Peacock. He's a former journalist turned PR guy. How's it going, Ryan? Good. How you doing? Thanks for uh, having me on the show. Definitely. So uh, before we start talking about the Marvin Booker and the release of this new report on his his death, I wanted to point out an interesting Facebook comment we got from Kyle Freeman talking about our last week's subject with Rue Johnson about the Denver hip-hop scene and the lack of local clubs uh, for local rappers. And he pointed out a lot of talent buyers around town come out of the 90s punk scene and don't have any personal interest in hip-hop. Someone who cares about hip-hop needs to step up and start booking shows at an unestablished venue. I thought that was a good point because you look at the, you know, why we have so many more punk rock clubs or pl- venues that do that, and a lot of that came out of guys like the Soda Jerk uh, production company. Those were just a bunch of DIY guys that started hosting things at um, warehouses, then smaller venues, and now they have three or four venues that they can showcase you know, a lot bigger acts. And hip-hoppers take a page out of the DIY punk rock businessman handbook and um, pull together some better venues. So first off, we're going to be talking about Marvin Booker. Joel, you've followed this. Tell us basically the background on this and what happened with the release of this new report. Uh, and I think it happened, was it last summer? That, July uh, of yeah. 2010. Yeah, Ju- July of 2010, this guy Marvin Booker, who uh, was this kind of street preacher, he got picked up and he was brought to the jail. And next thing that we heard as the public was that he died while while in custody. And there was word that the DA wasn't going to press charges, and the DA based that on video that he'd seen of what happened in the jail. And people have been pressing to see this video. Yeah. And it's been this big thing that's just been hanging over yeah. all of these Everyone wanted to know, because like, literally video has played such a big role like, over the past year in these different police brutality incidents that there's been this real focus on people seeing this video for themselves. And so uh, this week they finally released the report and the video and there was a press conference where the manager of safety released a report and we saw the video. So first tell us what, what did they determine about who was at fault or if there was any fault given for the sheriff's deputies involved in this? And then what, what actually happened in this video? What was this incident? They said that after a full investigation that the different sheriff deputies involved did not violate any code of conduct for different video streams of the same incident. This is in the pre-booking area where, you know, you're brought where to you're the detention center to get and you're waiting in. to get booked in. Yeah, I was talking, the and then he, and he tried to go back to his seat or something, and then all of a sudden, to kind of restrain him, because you're not supposed to walk away from the sheriffs, a whole bunch of guys, at least one female sheriff as well, kind of dogpiled on him. And that was hard to see in the video, supposedly... He was kind of struggling, like like he wouldn't he wouldn't go loose, and so I think they used what's kind of chokehold around his neck. Yeah, it was kind of like from the video, it just looks like this pig pile of cops. Yeah, yeah it, it lasts for a while, for like a so minute yeah. or two, and then one of them goes and then tased him for eight seconds, and finally, supposedly, this guy went loose. Marvin Booker went loose, and then they carried him to the cell, and you see in the video that they put him in the cell, kind of face down, and they leave, and then one guy maybe. A few seconds later, kind of walks by the cell and notices he's not moving. So then pretty quickly, they call out the nurse and open up the cell, and they realize something's wrong. 
He's not breathing any Yeah. Time. I want to get your impressions about this report because the report said none of these officers were at fault if you think that that was, that was a good decision. But, Ryan, as someone who hasn't maybe been following this entire saga as closely as we have, when you saw the video and saw the eventual report, what, what, what were your impressions of it? Did it look like this was police brutality and, and his death was called, caused by the police? Yeah, actually, I heard you know the story about it before and all that. And after seeing the video, it's very, you know, they have a disclaimer beforehand about... This is graphic nature right, or something. It's not graphic at all. You know, it's, it, it, it's, it's pretty subdued. You know, like you said, it's uh, about five or six people hogpile on them and, and just kind of subdue them on that. The, you know, the scariest thing about the video is the, the female cops, I think, that came in there. They were kind of big, large, oppressive women. <laughs> And they, and they show up from like three different angles, don't they? Yeah. So, and, but you never really see any. So you didn't walk violent. away being like, "This is this is this is a clear cut case of police brutality." No, I didn't. I didn't yeah, think it was police brutality. Yeah. I, I, Especially, I, have you seen the Michael D. Herrera video, which was a video released last summer, which the one where the guy is on a cell phone in Lodo, and the cops come over and just. Like literally beat him unconscious. I have not seen that, but it's a pretty yeah, that is, yeah. To... It's completely different. I mean, that's what basically going on. That I mean, you asked me my thoughts about this. Well, yeah. I mean, we posted uh, or Westward posted this video after the announcement was made and and uh, described the report and said these cops aren't um, found to be not at fault. They're going to be back on the sheriff department doing um, their job like normal. And there were a lot of angry comments from people saying. This is an outrage. This shows that all the cops are in cahoots. There's what, what's your impressions after seeing this report? And- seeing the, seeing how they responded. Seeing the fact that they released not just a few minutes of the video and released more later, which I think is what they did with Michael D. Herrera. They kept releasing like little bits of it. They put the whole thing out there. At least like a forty-page report. Um, they literally had like like a one-hour press conference about this. Kind of lay the whole thing out slowly and carefully. Well, but, so what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> To me, in my limited experience, I think they made the right decision, especially since like, it had to be based upon what the current rules were. And at that point, there was nothing wrong, at least in the Denver jail, of using this kind of chokehold, which, which is controversial. Since this death, they've said, we are no longer using this chokehold, which is... This- yeah, and this is called a, a cartoid hold. Yeah. And this is pretty much a, a fancy term for a headlock. And yeah. it's where you put... The, one of the cops had his head kind of in a headlock from behind, and you press down with your forearms on the person's uh, blood arteries. And you can neck kind of see it, but not but without, very well without the blocking their air passage. Yeah. And what's what's that? What that is actually designed to do is to make people pass out, basically. And I don't think it was made public then, but but soon after that, the jail stopped stopped allowing that chokehold. And then with this release where they admitted it on Monday, they said, we will continue to not allow this. At the same time, they're launching a task force to review use of force policies in the jail. So it seemed to me that it was a complete different approach than the shitstorm they created last summer. Right. The one thing I was curious about in the press conference, I know Bill Vidal mentioned the distinction between the sheriff's department and the police department. And I didn't really understand. Yeah. The police have been the ones that have, most of the scrutiny has been focused on. Most of these videos, allegations, and photos of, of abuse have been focused on the police because the police are the ones who are out on the streets doing the incidents. The sheriffs here in Denver, their main their main job is to run the jail or be tied. It to goes it. back to the, since Denver is its own city and county. Normally, right. like you have your county sheriffs, but you know they're not county sheriffs running around. Um, you know, All arresting people. Like that. They run. They run the jails. They okay. run the transport. Yeah. They're at the courts. They're moving inmates back and forth. 
So there, there is that weird distinction, but they're, but they are two different, they're two separate departments. I mean, they, they both answer to the manager of safety, but there is that distinction there. And that brings up actually kind of the response. Like I said, I think the city did everything it could to mitigate the potential response, you know, negative response. However, because of what's happened over the past year, there is this stereotype. There's an assumption now that there's something not quite right and it's not going to go away with one good press conference. And for example, literally within, within a couple I think by 5 p.m. the day of the press conference, there was this like cop watch convergence out on the brand new Justice Center Plaza, which already has all these like cop killer stickers and fuck the cops and Marvin Booker, like rest in peace, like stickers all like like all over the plaza. 30 or so people started marching up and down the plaza saying the cops killed someone in this building. Well, you know, one, it wasn't the cops. It was the sheriffs. And it, like, like literally, they could have they could have done anything they wanted to in this press conference, and still they were gonna get this negative response. It seemed like it, it had been elevated too, because during the mayoral like debates route, there was always a question of would you fire the uh, the, the police chief? Yeah, yeah. That, that I think police like... chief Jerry Whitman this these days is basically a dead man walking. Like both Michael Hancock and Chris Romer have said that they're gonna replace the police chief. So one one final thought on this, and then we have to move on. My impression was, I agree with you guys, this probably was the right decision. But what the decision says is not that um, it, it clears the officers, the sheriff's deputies, of any wrongdoing. But that's not to say that Marvin Booker wasn't killed as a result of this incident. It was it was a an acknowledgement that the officers used the appropriate amount of force, of restraint, and in this case, deadly force, um, using the taser and all these other measures for the situation that they were placed in. To me, it underscores the difficulty in these types of situations of, of really knowing what, what is going to happen. Because when they tased Marvin Booker, you know, he had, it turned yeah, out later, like cocaine, cocaine in his system. His system. Mm-hmm. He was extremely worked up. He had an, large, he had an enlarged heart. He's in a chokehold. Massive amounts of adrenaline running through his body. He's fighting. He's exerting himself. You taser somebody. And in some cases, this is the outcome. And for police officers and deputies put into these situations, you don't you don't know all these variables. You don't know what a person's medical history is, does show we have to take each individual case as its own individual case. But one thing that you can be sure is now that Marvin Booker's family has filed a lawsuit yeah. against the city and county of Denver. They also have, demanding that the feds come in and investigate law enforcement. And uh, I think that they're probably going to get a settlement, even though the cops were not, the deputies were not to, found to have done any wrongdoing, the fact that they used this particular chokehold and then uh, Marvin Booker died and then they removed the chokehold from their policies is an acknowledgement that the chokehold was um, a contributing factor to Marvin Booker's death. So this could go to court. I bet you anything it's going to go like a lot of these cases go where you'll see a settlement, you know, three or four months down the road and the city would attorney's office would probably like to see this go away. But anyway, Let's move on to much more serious topics. Much more right. serious. <laughs> not, yeah. not really, but uh, we're going to be talking about basically the creatives in Denver, small businesses in Denver, and how you can best market yourself. And we kind of got on this topic because this week, this weekend right now in Denver is the Create Denver Expo. The Office of Culture Affairs does this yearly. They bring a bunch of people together. They show off um, all the ways to help artists and creative types kind of grow their businesses here in the city. And I went to a few of the events there at the um, web building, and it was a pretty good thing, a really good turnout. People seemed really excited. So Ryan, as someone who deals a lot with small businesses, you help them try to uh, get attention for themselves, you know, the sandwich shop down the street, how can they get 
greater amounts of media attention. It all comes down to you having a good story. What is relevant about it now? Why would readers of a publication care? And why would they be interested in what are the, the publications that have the, the target audience that you're looking to reach? And what is the angle? Day and age, there's a lot of work that you can do for your own PR and media efforts that doesn't require you know an agency. Because own. do you find that in dealing with people who you know they're entrepreneurs, they started up their own businesses, and they approach the process of doing press releases and getting media attention in a backward way? Because it must be seem pretty mystifying if you've never. Done yeah, that I think you know they may look at like what they've seen as press release and write this template, uh, you know, format or whatever, but. Again, what you want to sell is the, the uniqueness of your company and, you know, what is different, what is unique about your business. And that, you know, that can go a variety of ways about how the company was formed, the backstory, the, you know, the founders of the company, uh, the products you produce. I think it's just stepping back and looking at what makes you guys different than, you know, other companies are unique in that sense. Well, so what are some of the biggest mistakes? I think some of the biggest mistakes are re- really trying to sell as an advertisement for your company. There's, you know, the big distinction between editorial and advertising. As advertising, you control the message throughout, you know, the whole p- process and where it appears. Editorial, you want to package as best as you can and and sell it to the journalists or editors at local magazines and publications. They're always looking for good story material. So to me, that starts a little bit with, you know, just knowing different publications, the writers, what they've written about, what they cover, what's of interest to them. And Joel, I'm sure your email inbox fills up with press releases and pitches. What are the things you actually absolutely hate about getting some of these press releases? My first piece of advice, do not write the subject head in capitals, like as soon as you get the subject <laughs> in capitals, like I, like you can just delete it. Stay away from it. the caps lock. Yeah. It is yeah. not going to make yeah, us you more don't want excited. to yell. Yes, you don't want to yell at somebody through the computer. And two, I mean, really, it's just as basic as doing your homework. I mean, it right. seems like such a no-brainer, but so many people. I mean, and maybe it works because the shotgun approach. If they just send the same press release to five hundred different different uh, media outlets, like they'll they'll get three hits, and that's fine. But like literally, just do a basic research about specific publication you're working at. Go pick one of them up. Look at what the different sections are. I mean, I tell the same thing to people who are trying to pitch, like basically, like like write a story. Just know the publication not just the print edition of these publications but the online components the blogs and stuff like that i think one of the the biggest mistakes i see is not realizing the timing it takes you know like yeah for a 5280 you they're working three months in advance on a issue so you've got to be out there pitching in front of them so if you have an event or something like that you want them to focus on it you you right. got to be thinking about their um editorial schedule i mean right and there's there's editorial calendars if you go on the websites of these publications uh, you know, like the Denver Business Journal, 5280, um, other local magazines like Colorado Biz, they're going to have an editorial calendar that will tell you the topics that they're going to cover um, for a year out. And, you know, again, if you can find something that is aligned with the topic or area they're going to cover, you're going to have a better chance, I think, of, you know, getting their attention for that particular issue. Yeah. And another thing I think that I see businesses and individuals and even PR people just have a warped sense of what is actually going to be a news story and what is actually going to be interesting. The fact that you have a band in Denver is totally unremarkable. There is nothing remarkable about you having a band in Denver or you having a cupcake shop in Denver. Just the fact that you exist isn't enough to make me want to write about you. There has to be some other hook into it. Now, if you have a band that makes cupcakes, that might be enough. If you have a band that makes cupcakes and it 
is within a news cycle where cupcakes or bands or something related to that comes up as an issue. If there's something hot nationally yeah. on the national um, spectrum, find some way to creatively, either through an event or something like that, hook into that because, you know, university you know, PR reps are actually, for the most part, really, really good at doing that. Like, you press folks are very good at are University quickly, press? What do you mean? Like, like CU or UCD, um, they're really good at, like, looking at what's happening on, like, statewide or nationally. And then the wrangling the right professors who you know who might be good press content promoting yeah. that out. I yeah. mean, they're they're smart about people. And one of the piece of advice that I would throw out there: know how to communicate what your company does in one clear sentence, right? In a quick, factual, concise manner, not like the you know overly flowerly, adjective way about your company has these ideals and stuff like that. But like you said, get to the point. When you're doing these pitches, I think it's got to be short. And you got to sell them within a couple paragraphs because you guys, again, like you said, you're inundated with these pitches and you give it a quick glance and you got to get your attention right away. I think, you know, what I've learned to work is kind of stacking the information is having that first couple paragraphs that, you know, talks about why this is of interest, you know, why you think the magazine, the readers would like this. But then also, you know, I've, I've always used, you know, links for more information towards the bottom and if you're the, the owner of the company or whatever, if you have a brief biography about why you're a relevant expert on this and experience, you know, that you can speak to this, I think that's helpful as well. So Ryan, what's the biggest thing that you've learned since being on the other side of the wall, either about um, PR and marketing or about journalists and journalism? You know, it's my, my rule of having on the other side is just don't feed them crap. The, the journalists you work with, um, you know, especially at all levels, are you know, forced to be doing more with less. Um, and so their time is valuable. And, and what you can do to make their job easier and be a, a good resource for them, they appreciate that. And a lot of times, you know, it's not always about, probably getting trophy this, but it's not always about your clients. But if you're spotting business trends, you can give them insight because, you know, these journalists are trying to keep up on everything and they can't be everywhere at once. So if you can be some a source that can kind of tip them off to, hey, I've noticed this happening, the, you know, cupcake trucks using social media and increasing their following by a certain percent. You know, that kind of stuff, I think, goes a long ways. And, and again, when they see your name pop up in their email, they're going to be more apt to, to look at what you're sending them, your reliable source. Yeah, and I think that you're, you're really pounding on, I think, one of the most vital themes here is you have a relationship with these journalists, right? right. Like you don't, you're not this anonymous email or this basically a spammer just going out there and shotgunning. You have a track record with these journalists. You've sort of built up a rapport. And so is that something really that we can expect of individuals and business owners in and of themselves, or should they always go out and hire a PR firm? I think it depends on you know, the size and your, your capacity if you're able to do this in a you know, small business sense. You may not have the resources to hire a firm and stuff like that, but you can set yourself up as a, a resource. I know sometimes PR people can get in the way of the process where they always want to control and be the, the gatekeepers and working with journalists. Um, but as a small business owner, if you can be a direct resource and make yourself available. And again, I just, I think it just comes back to, you know, having a good idea and good insight about what would be relevant for that publication and what's news and what, what is your story? You know, just tell your story in a real clear, concise manner. To change the subject, not only marketing yourself as a business, but marketing yourself as a, as person, a piece of meat, as a person who is looking for love. Ryan, you are a single 
young gentleman swinging, in, swinging in, young man in Denver, ladies. and uh, you were talking about Match.com and how you almost have to brand yourself here in the city of Denver. What what do, what do people need to do, or what have you noticed are the biggest and best ways to put yourself out there? I think it, my thing is I've noticed a lot of the the girls I say are very generic words. Uh, like what? What is so, it? I like to go out and I like to stay in or I want someone that makes me laugh and my friends are very important. My family's important to me. I'm like, no shit. Everybody wants that. You know, what, what, what's different about you? Like, tell me something unique about yourself. Well, and then what was also interesting is how there's certain things that are uniquely Denver or uniquely Colorado. Like, uh, also last night we were talking with this, with our friend Marissa, who is also a serial Match.comer, and one of the <laughs> Hello, things that, one of the things that she noticed most were when people say uh, the cliches is, "I want to experience all that this state has to offer." Like, I think that, yeah, that seems to me like, a, like kind of a Colorado getting, thing, like getting right? the plague from prairie dogs. Is that what you want to experience? Because 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 Colorado does have that to offer. Another thing was, I love the outdoors. Yeah, everybody's about that. Like, I'm, on the weekends, you can find me up in the mountains, mountain biking. As opposed skiing. to Yeah, the just indoors. you, just that one person in the right. mountains. That, that makes you unique. I mean, it's, and there's, you know, you can tell some people are, again, that, that local culture of Colorado and Denver, of that outdoors, uh, active lifestyle. And some people are way into it. And some people, I think, are just, you know, saying that, like, I've got a car rack. Mountain bike car on my uh, car, but I've only used it once, you know. But I'm still outdoorsy. I'm still active and all that. So, would have been so now. So you you find someone that you actually want to set up a date with. Where are the venues here in Denver? The coffee shops, the bars that you find are the best places to go. My, so that we can go all my and, and approach, spy on you. And I'm not. I, I'm not saying it's been successful. It's, it's just a couple emails back and forth and cut to the chase and be like. Let's meet because why draw it out? You know, it's I don't want a pen pal over email. I don't need that. I've got. I mean, I've got a couple of places I go. Like PS Lounge is okay. Is PS always, Lounge on Colfax. It's, it's it's a dive bar. Um, if they like, you know, if the girl is into the dive bar scene, they've got a great jukebox. They give you a. And out. she kind of squeals right off the bat at the idea of going to like a dive bar. You know, it's just that's no good. probably a no go on that. Okay. One. Yeah. If, if she's more of a lodo type of person, then. But they, if everyone knows her at the PS Lounge, is that a bad sign too? That might be a bad sign. I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I have this theory that the guy that owns it is under a witness protection. He was a former mafia guy on the East Coast, but he's really friendly, and every girl that comes in there gets a, uh, a flower and a free Alabama. Oh, that's good. Slam a shot. So where else other than PS? Uh, I've gone to there's Irish Rover or Wyman's. Um, you know, again, place where you can maybe grab a booth and some some privacy and get to know the person okay. and have actual conversation and usually it's just i just start out with drinks there's no commitment to a, a food or dinner usually so you wouldn't want to take someone to like the tilted kilt no no okay. i don't think so I th- Wait, what, what, what is the tilted kilt Tilted kilt isn't that like it's like hooters hooters has been merged with a uh, scottish irish bar and it, it feels like a, a gateway job to working at a strip club and that's that's on the 16th street mall and it's also a chain which is which is a big thing when if someone was to suggest i want to meet at applebee's places here in denver yeah i I would i kind of veer away from that i mean like thin man's another spot i go to but most of the the girls i've met have been been in denver and it's the same thing where you go to you know you're not out in the suburbs you get more options of cooler places to go to and stuff like that it is interesting to see one of the parts of the profile you can put where your favorite local haunts are so you can kind of get a feel for where this person likes to hang out that would tell me yeah that to me would tell me a lot about someone like where they go drink i feel like that would might actually tell me more about someone than what they even write well it's a personal essay where they go drink or what they read um you know uh anyway to our listeners out there who may or may not be on match.com or doing online dating where are the places that you found are 
the best places to hang out or or the worst places or the worst places for let's keep moving along and and finish up this episode with a round of love and hate ryan peacock you're our guest what do you got love you know I've, I've, it's, it's not a new thing but it's actually a really cool website um that i've been kind of checking out lately is uh post secret i guess familiar with that post secret yeah yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's actually a really cool concept where this guy started an art project where he um, had people just on a postcard uh, confess their secrets anonymously uh, in life and just mail it. And, it, and it's, it's been around probably for about, I want to say, six, seven years. Already. And yeah, it's, it's growing. It's a while. huge phenomenon. They've got books out about it now. And you get every, I mean, you get the, the wide range of like, you know, my father raped me when I was a kid to I, I fart in church, you know. Man, Ryan Peacock, you are so sensitive. I you cannot are. believe you're still single. That's, that's yeah. what Joel's we, wife. Should... If I was on Match.com right now, I'd be winking at you. Yeah. As Joel's Anyways. wife said, I wear my heart in my sleeve. It's like Joel does. Oh, Ooh. that's sweet. God. My wife. I was trying to get him out of yeah. trouble no, last we night. No, we need to keep moving on. Yeah. This, is, this is getting out of control. Yeah. Joel, what do you got? Unfortunately, Jared, you're going you to get mad at me, but actually have a love this week. It's going back to our first topic about Marvin Booker. I'm going to give love to the mayor of Denver right now, uh, Bill Vidal. So he basically had six months. He said he wasn't going to run. So he literally could have just cruised through his six months or just something fun or whatever. He literally decided to, to take on the entire police brutality scandal. And he has said that he's going to deal with all the lingering cases. And it is a thankless job. Like literally, he's just getting yelled at from both sides, from the, from the police union and the activists. But he's getting shit done in his very short but so far successful mayoral tenure. And I think we should actually create something where literally that all future mayors have to just uh, have tenure for six months and not run again. Because we'll get, we get a lot more done. Yeah, and we'd also have elections every six months. Yeah. <laughs> Whoopee! <laughs> okay, good. Well, I have a love. The Denver recycling the, for any people who actually live in houses and not um, apartment buildings in Denver. You have your uh, purple plastic bins. Denver Recycling is now doing mixed plastics rather than just, uh, you know, I guess regular plastics. So now you can throw away all of your uh, – or throw all of your yogurt containers and butter containers and even random little plastic trays. I, I got a thing in the mail today about it. So you weren't, so you weren't just like stuffing your old dirty uh, socks and bags of leaves into your recycling no. bin? No, I wasn't. Okay. Well, that was my, <laughs> that was my love. Uh, anyone else out there, any of the topics that we talked about today – Chime in, tell us what you think on our Facebook page, on our Twitter page, and definitely subscribe to us. I think it's a much more enjoyable way if you do it through iTunes or whatever podcatcher that you have. So that was the Denver Diet Chime for this week, and we are out. It's all in